0: Chris Ryder, our church administrative assistant and I wrestled this week with what image to put on the front of your bulletin today. Now, often we try to put an image that goes with the sermon text or theme of the Sunday, but when your text is like this one, one that talks about dirty hands and eating dirty food, and well, what happens to the food once you eat it? That it goes into the body and well out into the sewer. Thanks for that, Jesus. And then on top of all of that, a text that ends with the story of Jesus calling this desperate Seraphonician woman a dog. Now, what kind of image would you have chosen for the bulletin? So we settled on a cute dog climbing on a table, because why not, right? I mean, oh, it's cute. Who couldn't love that picture? It's a good distraction, from the text this morning, if you need to just flip over and just look at the dog at any point during the sermon, feel free. Our text today shows up in every list that's entitled, The Hard Sayings of Jesus, and rightfully so. Maybe you gasped a few times while Don and Marty were reading the scripture to us. Now, in the, we, we, we skipped part of the intro from the previous chapter, because the text was long enough. But here Jesus is, he's in Gentile territory, we are told. But the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem have followed him. They've gone across the sea to see what Jesus does when he's away, for they've already witnessed the scandal that happens when Jesus does ministry among the Jews. What heretical things will he do in Gentile territory? And their fears are rewarded, for immediately when they see Jesus and his disciples leave the shore, they start, or leave the boat, they start eating Gentile food with unwashed Hands. (gasps) Now I know, it's not a big deal to us. But to them, this is huge. Their concern is not cleanliness. They're not worried about bacteria. This is about 1,600 years before the first bacteria would even be discovered. But their concern is a different kind of cleanliness. Who is clean and unclean before God, spiritually. See, their world, as we've mentioned before in our journey through Mark, is divided into two groups, clean and unclean. And clean meant that you could approach God. You've done all the right things in life, but also ritually, ritually, that you keep cleanliness, that you uh, wash your hands, your bowls as a sign of purity. Unclean meant that you were distant from God. Perhaps you were poor. Perhaps you were sick. Perhaps you just didn't care about the rituals, and so you were labeled as unclean. Or maybe you were just born a Gentile like those that Jesus is around this morning. You were unclean by virtue of your birth. And uncleanliness was something that you could catch. It could be transmitted by touch. By eating Gentile food with unwashed hands, the disciples become as unclean as the Gentiles were. And the Pharisees catch them in the act. Now, Jesus' response seems somewhat harsh, and even Don recognized that before he read the scripture this morning. They're doing the best they can, and yet Jesus quotes Isaiah and says, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. And then he starts just quoting scripture and preaching a sermon right there on the spot. Some of the highlights, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts, human ideas and teachings as if they are the doctrine of God. You abandon the commandment of God and hold instead to human traditions. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. That's my favorite one. Listen to me, he says, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But the things that come out, that's what defiles do you not see where, that wherever, whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile since it enters not the heart, but the stomach? It is what comes out of a person that defiles. Some sermon. Huh? You can imagine the response Jesus got from the crowd. Not a lot of handshaking or compliments in the fellowship hall afterwards. The Pharisees heard it rightfully so. As a threat, a challenge to their whole religious system. Their job was keeping the children of Israel clean before God. And Jesus just threw their whole project out. But someone there in the congregation heard this sermon not as a threat, but as hope. Now, we don't know her name, only that she was a Gentile from a Seraphinian woman. And she's desperate. Her daughter has a demon. Certainly, she had heard the stories of that last trip that Jesus made to this part of the world where he threw out the legion of demons that were in that man who lived in the graveyard. That man was told to go and tell people what had happened. Maybe he told her. And she hears what Jesus had done and hears what Jesus says and wonders if Jesus could do such things for her daughter. So she gets creative. She waits till Jesus is alone and goes to her house. She doesn't deserve to be there. She's not supposed to be there. She breaks all religious and social conventions in the process, interrupting a Jewish rabbi who's in a home resting. This is scandalous. And when Jesus hears her request to heal her daughter, he responds with what has been described ironically so as the most un like statement ever. He says, let the children be fed first, assuming he's talking about the children of Israel. For it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, assuming he's talking about her. But she doesn't let Jesus' seeming insult turn her away. In fact, she argues with Jesus argues with this foreign rabbi and creatively and boldly responds, yeah, but sir, even dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Mark tells us that Jesus says, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Now, maybe it's time we flip back to that cute puppy picture What is going on here? I have a lot of questions. Perhaps you do as well. The story ends all right. The daughter is healed in really what's one of Jesus' most amazing miracles, where he heals this girl from miles away. He's never done anything like this in the gospel yet. But this conversation throws a cloud even over that miraculous healing. Where is the grace, Jesus? Now, usually when Jesus heals someone in Mark's gospel, we'll be told that Jesus says it's because of your faith that you've been healed. But here there is no mention of faith. Jesus says it is because of what you just said that your daughter is healed. Is Jesus saying that she was healed because she made a good argument? Dogs was a common name for Gentiles in that day, for Gentiles were seen by Jews as being unclean like a dog, and these are not these kinds of dogs. They didn't have dogs as pets, but they were mongrels living on the streets, scavenging trash, eating dead animals. Often we're told dogs would sit with the poor and those who are, who are terminally ill and lick their wounds. They were the picture of uncleanliness. And this is what Jewish people called Gentiles is Jesus promoting this racist stereotype, but then changing his mind because of what the woman says. Some have argued that Jesus is perhaps playing devil's advocate, if the Christ can play a devil's advocate, adopting the persona of this culture around him, being intentionally provocative, to show how messed up this system of clean and unclean, of children and dogs, Jews and Gentiles really is, and that to God, all are equal in God's kingdom, all are welcome. There's a lot of questions and a lot of possible answers, and unlike a good preacher, I'm going to let you figure that one out yourselves. Come to whatever conclusion you might think what Jesus might be up to Because to me, the most intriguing thing is not Jesus in this story, but this woman. This woman who, in spite of it all, in spite of this messed up culture and the social norms that she has standing against her, in spite of Jesus' response, which no matter the reason, must have come off cruel and insulting to this woman, she still does not back down. She could have gotten angry or scared, turned around and left because she's not even supposed to be there. But instead, she gets bold and creative. Now, this week, I listened to a recent episode of the public radio show On Being. This is what I do for fun. And the host, Krista Tibbet, was interviewing the author, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote that big bestseller book, Uh, Eat, Pray, Love. Her current book is about creativity, and they were talking about what it means to be creative. And she said that often we think of someone who is creative as someone who's just naturally gifted. They were born that way. Or someone who follows their passions. They're passionate about something, and so they they just follow it and, and, and go after it with all their might. But she says, really, we have it all wrong. Creativity is really not about your birth or your passions, but it's simply an outlook on life. That being creative creative is choosing to look at the world with curiosity instead of fear. Curiosity over fear. That's creativity. And isn't that what this story, this woman in particular, is really about? The Pharisees' obsession with upholding the tradition of the elders, whether they're they're good intentions or not, is based on fear. Fear. Fear of change, fear of contamination, fear of displeasing God, and really fear of the other unknown person. But this woman, she seems to be the one, not the religious leaders, who understands God's extravagant love. She sees that no one, not even the dogs, go unfed by the Lord's gracious hand. And so she pushes against that tradition, argues with the fear and with the way we've always done it. Her curiosity takes over, and she overcomes that fear. And she pushes in where she doesn't belong. And her whole world, and our whole world, is turned upside down. Through her creativity in approaching Jesus, she shows, perhaps even Jesus himself, that there is a better way. And we need more of that kind of bold creativity in our world. We've seen in the last few weeks just all kinds of bad news. Where's the good news? Last week, Dallas Area Interfaith, an organization I used to work for when we lived in Dallas, organized an interfaith prayer vigil in the wake of the horrible events that happened in that city. They gathered together religious and community leaders across all kinds of lines that usually divide, but people of multi-faiths and races joining together with the Dallas police force to continue their work of building trust and to chart a hopeful way forward. But they're not just going to pray, though it was a prayer service. Because for a decade, this organization has been working with police to locate public money, to hire more officers, to pay officers better so that they will enjoy their jobs and so that they can begin an effective community policing strategy that's based on trust, not fear. And their work continues and is even more bold today. Together, they're coming across these lines that divide, and choosing curiosity over fear, getting creative about the future and how religious people live in a city that's diverse like Dallas. In a suburb of Louisville, Kentucky, I read a story about uh, the area that, that was facing an influx of refugees. And as more people came from around the world, there was growing concern and even fear as their community became more diverse. But members of the bare grass Christian church, Disciples of Christ, decided to not give in to that fear. And instead, they made intentional efforts to get to know these refugees. They learned through conversations that many of them had no transportation, not even to the grocery store, let alone to a job. But they couldn't just go buy a car because they didn't qualify for a driver's license. So the church got creative. There was a lot of cyclists in their church, and someone thought, well, we got some old bikes. What if we gather some bikes together with our church members and give it to them? Then they've got some transportation. So they started with 10 bikes. To date, they've now given out 1,500 bikes. I don't have a car. I don't have anything, said Zaid al-Faleed, a refugee from Iraq. I'm waiting for my license. Just because of that, I have to use a bike to go to the market. I need this very much, he said. This church chose creativity over fear, and God's love is being made known. In Nashville, Tennessee, there's the New Covenant Christian Church, and they had a bold idea, an African-American church that is growingly diverse, and they've for a long time been a part of helping the needy in their community, but decided that more needed to be done. So now they host an annual block party, That rivals any city festival in Nashville, and they've got some big festivals in Nashville. But they have music and dancing in the streets, games, great food that's all free, and what the church calls just an air of crazy love. And also at the festival, they give some kids some backpacks, they have some free clothing, they have a station that does free haircuts. They have legal clinics and medical and dental assistance. They connect people to social service agencies in the community. But the goal is that people will leave just feeling joy, encountering God's creative, crazy love. Creativity over fear. I heard a preacher once explain that the Holy Spirit, that that she really is nothing more than God's creativity let loose in the world. That's what the Spirit of God really is, creativity. And so what's your story? What's our story? How is God's creative spirit moving among us, pushing us to be like this woman in our story, to overcome a system of fear and the way things always have been, and to get bold and creative in what we can do in the name of God's love? How is God's spirit calling us to get creative in sharing God's extravagant love to all people? You see, fear causes us to close up our minds and our hearts. But creativity opens us up so that we can imagine a new world. And what really matters, Jesus says, is what comes out of you, not what goes in. What kind of love is pouring out? What kind of crazy love is infecting the world, sharing God's message that all people, children, dogs, no matter what names or labels we may wear, all are welcome at God's great table of grace. May we always tap into that creative spirit of God as we open our hearts, our minds, our churches, our communities, and our world to breathe in that crazy, creative love of God. May it be so among us. Amen.